Hello, everybody. I am uh, thrilled to have uh, former Australian cricketer Colin Miller uh, with us on this chat. Uh, welcome to this chat, Colin. Uh, and uh, it's quite interesting. What, what, what color hair do you have now under your cap now, Colin? <laughs> it's the same color as my cap. It's, uh, oh, it's just so it's no, old, it's, I think it's called old age these days. <laughs> so it's no longer as funky as uh, as you were called in your playing days. No, I haven't dyed my hair for many, many years now. Probably 17 or 18 years since I've had uh, any colour in my hair. It's all naturally silver now. <laughs> Do you still remember that day when uh, you came out to ball with blue hair uh, and uh, you made uh, Courtney Walsh uh, break into a big laugh? It's really funny that people send me that video on Facebook all the time and ask me if I've ever seen myself on TV. So at least once a month I get sent that video. And what what, what really happened? Why did you dye your hair blue at that time? Um, well, the true story is I thought I never played one-day cricket for Australia. And uh, that year I thought I was a really good chance to play one-day cricket. And after the at the end of the first day of that Sydney Test match, uh, the team manager, Steve Bernard, came into the rooms and he was going to announce the one-day team so we could tell our family and get our bags packed and organise travel for the next month or so. Um, and he went through the team, the 13 or 14 names, and my name wasn't there. So I was devastated because in my mind, I was imagining the MCG on a, on a Friday night with 85,000 Victorians where I'm from with the canary yellow Australian uniform on and maybe some yellow hair. Um, so when I wasn't in the team, I was devastated. It was going to be my last game, international game that year, that summer. So I, uh, I rang the hotel we were staying at and got the concierge to just call a hairdresser for me and get a hairdresser to come in. And I asked her to bring some colours in and she just happened to bring in the blue. Um, so the, the, the blue was the hair that we got for that next day. And uh, what was the reaction of Steve Waugh? Someone like Steve Waugh who's like a very staid, very uh, calm person uh, uh, to be in a team led by him. Uh, what was his reaction? Uh, no one really knew. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. Um, so the next morning we got to, we left the hotel, we got in the team bus and I sat right in the far, in the in the, bottom, the back of the bus on the right hand side with my, I had a cricket cap on and my tracksuit down up to my neck and um, when the guys did a warm up in the morning, we, we only needed one wicket in the morning so I, I didn't bother going to warm up, I just stayed inside and I got a massage, I had a can of coke to, to get myself uh, less thirsty and Steve Ward came in and said to the two fast bowlers, right, you guys are going to start the bowling attack for us today. We'll get this one quick wicket. We can get out of here. We can start batting. And when he said that, I put my hand up and he looked at me and said, what do you want? I said, well, Steve, and I have to bowl the first over. And he said, why is that? And I took my hat off and this bright blue hair appeared. And I said, look, I spent $300 last night on my hair and there's 45,000 people outside that need to see this today. So he said, thank you. You've done the hard yards. You can bowl the first over today. And that's how it all happened. <laughs> And 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 you also had uh, pink hair uh, while you met the Queen, and uh, I believe your team media manager Brian Muggetroyd said something to you. Oh, what really happened? Why was your hair pink? And that too while meeting the Queen? Because I actually forgot that Queen was coming in that day. I'm a bit stupid sometimes, and so I'd had red hair earlier in the tour, and I hadn't dyed it for maybe two and a half weeks, and the red hair was starting to wash out. And it looked a little bit like candy floss or fairy floss, we call it in Australia. And so it was sort of half pink and half white and starting to go brown a little bit. And and when Steve, when uh, Murgis told us in the morning, hey, don't forget the Queen's coming in today at lunchtime, 
my heart just sank because I didn't want to make the queen with pink hair, but unfortunately I had to. And remember, we had green blazers in those days as well. So I mean, green blazer and my pink hair, it was a terrible combination. And what, what, what did you did you do you still remember that that day when you met the queen? Did she sort of smile? Did you did you get any reaction from her? I actually got in, I actually had interaction with her. It was awesome. So we we got we got trained by one of her uh, one of her uh, gentlemen that comes in before the before the day and says you're going to meet the queen today. Uh, this is what you need to do. You need to don't try to shake her hand. Don't ask her for an autograph. Don't talk to her. Just sort of half bow down and say um, good afternoon, ma'am. Um, so I said, well, good afternoon, mom. And she looked at me and said, really nice hair. And then she just sort of <laughs> gave me a big smile. So that really made your day. It did, absolutely. What, what do you make of the hairstyles today? Or, or rather now it's more about the beards rather than the hairstyles. What do you make of that? Yeah, I can't grow a beard. I'm 56 years old and I still can't grow a beard. Um, I, I think times change. I, I was really fortunate, I think, in a way that the era that I played in, there was really no mobile phones. Uh, no one was carrying a camera in their back pocket, everybody that you met. Um, the genuine way to meet people was, was personally to, to say hello and sign a bit of paper for them and maybe take a photo with a camera and a bit of a selfie. But times have changed. You, know, you, you can't go out anymore. These young guys that, that play international cricket now, they're... They're superstars. They're getting paid like superstars, and and the, the 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 crowd and the audience expect that they own half of these people. And I think it's really sad in a way. I think I played in an era that was really really free, uh, and we had time to go out and enjoy ourselves without that public pressure all the time. Uh, you had been a baseball pitcher, if I'm not mistaken, in your younger days. Was that where you picked up your off-spin bowling? It was. Yeah, I, I had really small hands when I was young. Uh, when I was 15 or 16, I was throwing around about 92, 93 miles an hour in baseball. Um, but the traditional curveball in baseball is really two fingers close together and you sort of rip across the top of the ball. Um, my hands were so small I couldn't do that. So I used to drop the ball back in my hand and use, my, use all my fingers. Um, and then when I was bowling medium pace or fast, um, my slower ball just became an off spinner that I would drop in my hand as I got behind my back. And then when I was bowling spin, it was just exactly the same grip. So I used, I used the same grip through baseball, through bowling medium pace, and through bowling spin. And uh, when did you start being this uh, sort of multi-purpose bowler? Well, you started off with the new ball and then bowled spin. When did, when did that aspect come into your cricket? Uh, I, I, in the nets, I'd always done it. Um, in, in club cricket, I'd done it a little bit. Uh, in England, I also bowled left arm in a couple of games, so right arm, left arm, medium pace. Um, but it's something I practiced spin before I bowled my first ball in first-class cricket in 1997. I'd probably been bowling spin for maybe 10 years in the nets. Um, it wasn't until David Boone I convinced him to let me bowl it in the first-class game that people actually got to see that I actually could do what I was trying to do. And who gave you the nickname Funky? How did that come about? Uh, Darren Berry former South Australian wicketkeeper. Uh, he was playing Western Australia, in South Australia when I was there. Uh, there's a song by Tone Loke called Funky Cole Medina. Uh, when you've had a couple of uh, Crown Lagers uh, and you've and you can't, Funky Colin Miller and Funky Cole Medina are not far apart. You've been playing for about 10 to 12 years, uh, but the big breakthrough year was for you in 97-98 when you got uh, 12 wickets in a game against South Australia and 67 in the in that season, breaking a 63-year record, and that sort of catapulted you into the uh, national reckoning. Uh, what about that season went well for you? 
Um, I think having David Boone as a captain was a great thing in Tasmania. Um, the, the fact that he showed faith in me to let me open the bowling with the new ball and then really just after four or five overs going transition to bowling spin. Um, and if you ask anyone that's had a great year in their career, they'll tell you that whether the batsman or bowler, um, I felt like I was going to wicket every ball I bowled. And I'm sure guys like Sachin in the past and Virat Kohli now, when they're on and they feel like they're going to make runs, they know that day they're going to make runs. And I had almost like a 10-month period where every time I bowled the ball, I felt like I was a chance of getting a wicket. And on the opposite side of that, there there, there were years at a time when I was couldn't work out where the next wicket was going to come from. So to have that 10-month period is something that you have to cherish. And you brought a sort of flexibility to that Australian side, first under Mark Taylor and then under Steve Waugh, where they could now look at playing not just uh, Shane Vaughan, McGill, uh, also you as the third spinner, and you could open the bowling as well with McGrath. So that kind of flexibility, I don't think uh, Australia has had since because you brought that flexibility into the side. It really gave the team 12 players on the field. Um, when you think I could open the bowling, as you say, and I did in, in two or three test matches, and then I could also come in and bowl spin later on in the afternoon uh, or finish a day. So for, for Mark Taylor, uh, for a few tests I had him, but then mostly Steve Waugh as my captain for most of the time I played for Australia, was that flexibility to maybe pick an extra batsman, uh, knowing that you only really need to pick three bowlers because you had one guy who could do two things. The fact that you had played about 10 to 12 years of domestic cricket uh, and you came in in your 30s into the Australian side, uh, when you got selected, did you play with the attitude that I have nothing to lose? Um, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, but I also believed um, that given the opportunity, I could do well at, at that level, international level. Um, and as you say, I'd been playing for almost 13 years of first-class cricket before I got my first test match. So I felt very comfortable in the team. Uh, I, I'd played against all the guys in the Australian team for all those 13 years. So there was no one there that didn't know who I was and I knew who all those guys were. So they made me feel very welcome at my first tour that was in Pakistan. And um, I was lucky to play that first testing at a wicket in my first over. So that relaxes you straight away and the boys got around me and, and celebrated. So... I think the the fact that I had played for so long really just played to my advantage. And that first test wicket, Salim Malik, still very special? Yeah, absolutely. I always remember that one. Um, caught a second slip from a ball that was almost going to miss the pitch and Salim Malik had to reach to it. They got an outside edge, the second slip, low caught, I think, Mark War, I want to say, low to his right-hand side. Um, yeah, it's really exciting because... Every kid in Australia grows up playing backyard cricket or on the front driveway with their big brother or their dad or their sisters and their mum. And you always, you know, I was always the West Indies when I played because my brother was always Australia. He wouldn't let me, he would never let me be Australia. So I was always Malcolm Marshall and then Robert Croft and these guys. So, but to get to play a game for Australia and then get a wicket in your first over was, was absolutely a dream come true. Uh, now I move forward. Uh, Mark Taylor had retired and, uh, you had Steve Waugh as the new test captain and uh, John Buchanan as the coach. And that team sort of created a winning run, which was very difficult to match. And uh, as part of that winning run, you took 10 wickets in a test match against uh, West Indies. Uh, how was that? And also playing against someone like a Brian Lara. Yeah, that, that era that you talk about, that 16 test match winning streak that we went on, um, we had a great team, really. We had a, 
a lot of the the Australian superstars. I don't put myself I don't put myself in that same field. But when you have McGrath and Gillespie and Warren and the, and the Wars and Gilchrist coming through in Healy in the early days, uh, Michael Slater and Darren Lehman coming through and Greg Blewett playing, we were really were a fantastic team. Um, the the ten wickets in in Adelaide was one of my probably my proudest playing moment. Um, to know that you play a big part in your team winning a test match and then to be named man of the match for that test match was really exciting for me. I still have that trophy. It sits in my trophy room just next door where I'm sitting right now. Uh, that was a really important moment for me. And uh, then you played that uh, third test match at Chennai in that famous series. Uh, how big was that series? Because that turned out to be a historic one as well. Yeah, in all, in all honesty, I think that I think test match cricket at that time was just starting to die a little bit and, and I think that series brought Test Match Cricket back to life. The The crowds in India throughout that whole series were phenomenal. Every ground was a full ground. Um, you watch TV today, unfortunately watch a Test Match in India and there's really nobody there um, because they're all saving their money for either a T20, the IPL or a one day tournament. So I think that, that series brought Test Match Cricket back to life and um, just to be a part of that series, having only played that one test match, but it was a great test match. Unfortunately, we didn't win that one. Um, we had our opportunities, but we but Harbhajan was had the had the, the the rope over us. We every time he bowled a ball, he got a wicket, uh, uh, and that was just a great series. I loved I loved playing that series. You also were part of a team that was very successful against England. Uh, there are two series in your career that happened, and. Uh, uh, what do you think was the reason why uh, you guys did well against England at that stage? Um, we had fast bowlers who were very similar to English fast bowlers in their conditions. Uh, Glenn McGrath, who could land the ball wherever he wanted to, basically for 20, 30 hours a day. Uh, Jason Gillespie, who was a lot quicker than people gave him credit for. Uh, when he wanted the ball fast, he could bowl very fast. We had guys like Damien Fleming who could swing the ball around in English conditions using the Duke ball again. Uh, guys like Michael Kasperich, Andy Bickle. Then, of course, we had Warney. We had Stuart McGill. Um, we had a really, really good bowling attack. If we could bowl teams out and if we could bowl England out for under 300, we also then had the batting attack uh, with Gilly batting seven back in those days um, and who could knock up 100 in the session at, at will. And despite all the names that you take, in 2001, it was you who was the Test Player of the Year. Uh, what was that feeling like to be named as the best Test Player in Australia? Uh, that's a, that, that is an amazing feeling, and, and I've, I get asked that question a lot. And the, probably the most exciting part of that is the fact that that award is is voted on by your fellow players, uh, and by the team management, and then by some of the media who travel with the team the whole year. So it's really being voted by the guys who know you best. So those team awards like that are probably the best awards that most players will tell you that they enjoy winning because rather than some random sports award, but you know, when something is voted by your teammates, uh, that actually means something to you. And you had a two-and-a-half-year stint with the Australian team, but you never got to play one-day cricket for Australia. How disappointing was that? Um, really, I, I think I was born 20 years too early because I... I Forgetting one-day cricket now, I, I would love to play T20 cricket. I think that the 2020 game would really suit my style. I could buy two hours, two hours of medium pace, two hours of spin, then have a slog for two overs and make a quick 15 and 20 runs and have a great time. Um, 
I would love to have played cricket for, for one day cricket for Australia. They gave me my one day jersey at one stage because they thought I was going to go to Kenya on a tour. Then I, I hurt my ankle, I couldn't go, so I gave the jersey back. So I have no, I have no shirt, I have no sweater, I have nothing from one day team. That's life. Uh, but uh, uh, tell me one big moment in your life was moving from Tasmania to Victoria. Uh, I, I believe there used to be a tradition where your father and you used to go and watch the Boxing Day Test match every year and then it became about you and your friends going and watching a Boxing Day Test match every year. So how did you feel about becoming a Victorian and turning out in Victoria? Well, remember, I was actually born in Victoria. I'm a Victorian by birth. So I, I played my first first-class game for Victoria in 1985. Uh, then I went to South Australia for four years. Then I went to Tasmania for eight years. And then the last two years of my career went back to Victoria. But you're right, my, my, my dad would take me and my brother um, to the Boxing Day test for as long as I can remember. Uh, we'd sit just above Bay 13 because he wouldn't let us sit in Bay 13 because I saw the rowdy Australians drinking their VB beers were down there and talking to Max Walker on the on the cradle, Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson and those guys, Doug Walters. I loved it down there. Um, and every year we would go there. After, when I got old enough to go on my own, I would take my mates uh, along to watch the cricket. And then to actually get a chance to play a Boxing Day test uh, in your home, in your state of birth, that was just phenomenal for me. That was awesome. Uh, there's an incident where you uh, won a match against New South Wales. You bowled nearly 50 overs, if I'm not mistaken, on a day uh, with pace and spin. And then you had to go and work at a sports bar where you used to work at in Hobart. Uh, can you recall that day? Was that the I toughest day of your life? I can. You've done your homework, yes. Uh, I, bowl, I opened the bowling with the new ball, uh, bowling into the wind, because Mark Ridgeway, my fellow fast bowler, always got the ball with the wind. Pardon me. Uh, I bowled about nine or ten overs and then said to Booney, I think the wicket's going to turn today. Then I bowled 25 overs of spin, uh, had a, a few more overs of medium pace, took the second new ball, got a couple more wickets, and then finished the day bowling spin. Bowled 51 overs that day, I think it was, and then went and worked until one o'clock in the morning in the bar that night serving beers to everybody. And, and you used to work work at that bar as long as you were playing for Tasmania, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I worked there for eight years. Um, and it was because you remember first-class cricket uh, in the mid-90s, we weren't earning a lot of money. It's, it's nothing like cricket is today. So you really needed a second job, which is why I spent most of my winters playing in England and in Holland in the off-season. Uh, it wasn't really until I started playing for Australia that you start to make any money in the game. And you played for uh, you played for Netherlands or Holland as it was called then as well. Uh, a couple of games, didn't you? I played one game. I think it was called in those days. It might have been the Benson and Hedges Cup, and we yeah. played against Somerset. Uh, they had Mustak Ahmed and Andy Caddick. So Andy mm. Caddick was their local. Mushi was their overseas pro. Uh, we got there and we the guys were so nervous the night before the game. Everyone was in bed like at seven thirty at night. We got to the game in the morning two and a half hours early. I was just trying to relax with the guys. They were all so tense. Uh, we uh, batted first, and I think we made 60 runs. <laughs> the, game, the game was finished very quickly. And then uh, you gave it all up in 2001-2 and uh, retired from cricket. Uh, was it an easy call? And you moved away from, uh, from the cricketing world. 
you moved to a non cricketing world what what really happened why why did you quit and why did you where did you go away where are you based these days so you remember and if if you ask a lot of athletes in the world did they retire or did they get told to retire i was one of the ones who got told to retire so quite often there's not there's not many guys get the luxury of making the the decision to i'm going to retire after my next test match um the superstars get to do that but i sort of got the, i got a phone call saying hey call um you're not going to be in the state squad next year you might want to think about retiring and then cricket australia rang me and said i oh, will give you a press conference tomorrow uh, your contract's up we're not going to renew your contract so you you should retire i was 38 as well i've been playing first class cricket for 17 years so i had a pretty good run um and then yes uh, i met my wife um cindy uh, who's a who's an american girl we met in uh, london during the ashes in 2000 2001 um and then i moved here eventually in 2008 and we got married and i've been here for almost uh going on 12 we've been married for 12 and a half years so going on 12 years yeah and what living do you in do in las vegas you're living the life what do you do in las vegas uh i work for the marriott hotel company uh i run the maintenance department there so i have a bunch of guys that work for me at the moment we have nothing to do cuz las vegas is closed we're in, we're in shutdown as well like most of the world is Um we have an 1114 room hotel. We have four guests staying here at the moment. Um so it's pretty quiet at work. I unfortunately had to furlough most of my staff. Uh I'm luckily I'm still working 4 days a week, but it's uh, it's an amazing scene and I can only imagine what it's like in India with people being told to stay inside as well. Um Vegas is, you know, 50 million visitors a year come here and at the moment there's nobody here. It's incredible. and do anybody talk about your cricketing past any guests or any tourists coming there or or your wife is she interested in cricket is there any cricket talk at all um not a lot my, my wife Cindy we actually met at a cricket function um she was working in London at the time uh, building golf courses and country clubs and that type of stuff and her uh, english bosses made her in charge of the a day at Teddington cricket club Uh, it was a tradition that they had they played a six aside a six aside tournament and that year we were there the Australian team so we were the the celebrity guest uh, every, every team got one Australian player and it was that day that I met Cindy that my wife I I bugged her all day to to give me her phone number so I could give her a call that night and take her out for for a dinner um but apart from that no sometimes a guest will will walk into the hotel um I've had a few people a few Indian guests recognize me I sort of give you a bit of a sideways glance a few Australian people talk to me before they realize who I am but I don't really try to publicize it here all my workmates have googled me at some stage and they've all seen I had orange hair and yellow hair and green hair but but no it, it's quite it's actually fun not being recognized and not being part of the game sometimes maybe if you color your hair again everybody will recognize you <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't think my boss would like that now uh there was a tragic uh, shooting incident uh, at a at a concert that you were supposed to be with your wife uh, a few years ago <clears throat> did you ma- did it make you reassess uh, life when that happened and when you saw that happening that was um such a life changing moment for everybody in las vegas um my my wife works for mgm and so we had tickets we could have gone to that concert that night um but earlier in the year my wife had been to one of the MGM functions and she'd bought two tickets to go see the Boston Red Sox play their last game of baseball for the season so instead of going to the concert that weekend that weekend we'd flown to Boston uh and to see the baseball which we 
Sydney knows I love baseball, so it was a great thing for me to go and sit there and watch a baseball game. We arrived back in Vegas that night. Um, we don't live far from the Strip, so we were driving around the back from the airport. If you know Vegas, the airport is very close to the Strip. Um, probably took us 15 minutes to drive home. We sort of got home and unpacked our car and sort of un- undid the, the, the suitcases and turned the TV on, and we just watched this terrible tragedy unfold on TV for the next couple of hours. It was uh, one of the things that you think, wow, that could have that could have been us. Um, one of, some of my wife's friends were actually at the concert, people that she works with, personal friends of hers, and just the horror stories that they tell. Um, you just never want anyone to go through that again. Uh, apart from that moment, uh, are you uh, still in touch with your cricketing mates? Uh, do you still talk to them? Are you still in touch with cricket? Um, sometimes, you know, what I do every morning is I get up and I read the Australian newspapers and I read Crick Info. I'm on there every single day, probably twice a day, um, making sure I know it's happening. Because I still get rung by uh, radio or newspapers in Australia to make comments sometimes. Um, I haven't watched a lot of cricket in the last 12 years, but what I can watch, I do try to watch. Um, I think the game is so different. I've been away now for almost, as I say, almost it's almost 19 years since I played. Um, I think the game's changed. The way the game's played has changed. The, the batsmen are more attacking. Um, bowlers are more all-rounders these days. They bat and they bowl. They can all field like superstars. I think it's an exciting game to watch sometimes, but I really struggle to get through a whole game. Um, I don't know whether it's because I just find it not, not inter- interesting anymore or boring, but I don't know whether you've seen the the series on the Australian cricket team called The Test. It was out recently, the documentary series. Um, I watched that. I, I, I binge watched that two weeks ago on my first week of being in, in hibernation. And uh, it was the first time for a long time that I actually missed playing cricket for Australia because it brought all the emotions back of playing cricket for Australia, which I really enjoyed. Do you still have your baggy green cap with you here in Las Vegas? I do, I do. Before I left Australia, I sold most of my memorabilia because really, what do you do with it? You, it sits in a closet most of your life or in a garage somewhere. So I kept the really important pieces that I wanted to keep. Um, I have a, fortunately in the house we have, I have a little bar, which is my room. My wife calls it me I love you room, uh, or the I love me room. Um, it has all my photos from my trips around the world and my baggy green sits in my closet in the bedroom. Why do you think the fact that despite you just played for two and a half years for Australia, you seem to create an impact uh, which has lasted, as in people still remember you? Uh, why do you think that happened? Um, again, I go back to the time. Um, it was a time when where you were, you were still very accessible to to the public and to into the supporters of, of played for Australia. I, I like have a drink. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm, I'm having a Johnny Walker now, so. I like, have, I like to have a relax and uh, I like to meet people and wherever, wherever we traveled around the world, I like to, um, if people wanted to talk to me, I'd sign autographs all day if I had to. Um, I, I think people probably liked me because I had a bit of a personality. I wasn't insular. Uh, I let myself out, let my personality be expressed. Um, and I was never shy to make a comment. I never shied away from anything. And I think on the ground, people saw that I enjoyed playing cricket. And I think people appreciate that. And you played the two different personalities. One was Steve Waugh, the hard-nosed Australian mm-hmm. trying to battle every ball. And then you had Shane Vaughan, a larger-than-life personality who played with extreme, two extreme personalities. And uh, how was that experience? Uh, 
It's really funny because I've known both of those guys for a long, long time, um, going back to under-16 cricket. So I played against Stephen and Mark uh, when I was playing for Victoria and they were playing for New South Wales, obviously. So we sort of knew each other from back in those days. And then I met Shane when I was when I was playing in South Australia and Shane was in the, the first year of the Cricket Academy. Uh, so I met Shane when he was probably 19 years old um, and we played against each other in England in the Lancashire League the, the following year. Um, when he actually got fired by his team because he because he couldn't make enough runs, they did. They, they forgot he got hundreds of wickets, but he couldn't make any runs. So those personalities, are, those personalities will never be the same. You know, Shane Warne lives a different lifestyle than everyone else that, that, that we know. He is a superstar that mixes with superstars. Uh, Steve Waugh was a real blue collar type guy who's worked really hard at this game and had to look like he battled all the time, but had a, had a very solid technique. The game for Shane was built all around confidence. And you could tell when Shane was going to have a good day because he was bristling and his hair was standing up and he was had his chest puffed out and he was ooing and ahhing at the batsman and sledging and talking and he, things that Stephen might have done quietly on the side, but, but Shane was all about that. Before I let you go, I would want you to give one advice to people in this time of uh, COVID-19. What, what is that one advice you would give people? Um, you've got to stay inside. You've got to, you've got to socially distance, which is going to be the new norm for us, unfortunately, for maybe for the next 12 or 18 months, But and stay safe. Now, people have got to, particularly in India, you've got to stay safe. It's so hard to have social distancing in the big cities in, the, in India. Um, hopefully people can stay safe and we come out this the other side and we can all start travelling again and see the world. My sister was just in India just before this hit. She, was, she spent three weeks there with her boyfriend and, First time she'd been there and she had the best time of her life. And I was, I've been telling her about it for so many years. So I was glad she got to experience that. And hopefully I get a chance to come back in the next couple of years as well and visit all the places I, that I so enjoyed almost 20 years ago now. And uh, one thing that people can do to keep themselves active or fit uh, during these times? Well, get married because your wife will always have a honey-do list for you. <laughs> So look after your house, do the garden. We have three dogs, so I walk the dogs every day. They hate me now. They try to hide from me. Uh, I'm, I'm on a fitness campaign. I'm trying to walk 10,000 steps every day. I'm trying not to drink as much Johnny Walker anymore, but I'll just have a couple every night so I can sleep well. I'm just trying to stay healthy, stay positive, because you know these really are dark times, something in the world that really never seen before. And hopefully, as I said, we come out of it in three or four months' time and we can all get back to being who we were you know, particularly in Vegas, Vegas was, was booming literally just four weeks ago. Um, and to see a, a, a city go from having millions of people here every week to having nobody here now, it's just an amazing feeling. So I want people to be able to get out there again, but not until it's safe. Thanks a lot, Thanks. Colin. It was really fun chatting with you and uh, looking back at your playing days. Uh, may, may you be as funky as you were ever. Uh, Chandris, I really thank you very much. Great talking to you. Great, great talking to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks.